This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. What it really means to live like golden. Yeah, we're golden, baby, we're golden. They're about to see us shine, because we're golden. They can't ever break us down, because we're golden. They're about to see us glow, because we're golden. Boys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, mate. It's good Thanks to be here. Thanks for having us, man. We've obviously had a little bit of a relationship um and and you know i had many discussions now um me picking your brains probably you know annoyingly asking the simple questions but um i'd love for you guys to tell the audience a little bit about what you guys do and and the name of your business and and give a bit of an intro so they've got some context to the conversations that are going to follow yeah awesome uh, nathan clay uh we own sway digital agency we're an e-commerce performing marketing agency um how do you guys get into it just quickly? Because um, I'm interested to hear like a little, just a, just a quick two-minute backstory before we get straight into it. Yeah, awesome. My uh, background is in photo and video, so I was doing a lot of content creation. Um, and I also did science degree at uni, which was like a lot of data analysis. And the problem I had was I was making clients awesome content and they'd post on their Facebook page and they'd be like, we didn't get any sales. I'm like, oh, well, because you're not running ads with it. So that led me into kind of paid media, learning of that. And once I saw it was just a cross between creativity and data, and I could see like the direct result that taking something that I've made into producing sales and the actual data support, I was just hooked and went from there, started the agency in 2018. Uh, Clay joined in 2020, I think. Yep. And yeah, been going ever since then. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so creativity side, Clay, what's, what's your part in the business? Yeah, so a little bit of a, um, a backwards way for me. I used to run nightclubs. Um, <laughs> When I was like 20, I ran a nightclub uh, down in Narrawa and called Empire. So was in that and was like the head of marketing, I guess, that ran the night. So did that for about five or six years. And obviously being in the nightclub game and, you know, having to reinvent all the time to keep up to date with current things is like, I just always had that passion for like marketing, like finding what was the next trending thing? How could we make this night better? when things were going down, you got pressure from, you know, owners and that kind of stuff. Our numbers are going down. Like we need to get it back up. And it's like, cool, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to strategize to make sure that, you know, we can keep pumping that kind of stuff. So was head of marketing and then ended up moving to, I guess, a digital agency. Won't go too much into that, but it was just, yeah, pretty much a scam. And then, <laughs> yeah, decided that I was going to go out and do my own marketing It's not like stuff. that to be an agency world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, new Nath from the industry. So, uh, yeah. I was doing my own thing. He was doing his own thing. And then, yeah, we just teamed up together and decided that, yeah, we're going to give it a crack and see where we could take it. Love it. Partnership made in heaven. We're going to start with um, what is marketing, right? And and I think one of the the, th the beautiful things about these learn series is it's really about getting into the weeds and just providing a source of education, you know, for business owners that are either just starting out or they're in their first, you know, two to three years and, and really trying to make it. And as you guys know, acquisition and, um, you know, and, and marketing is literally the be all and end all uh, to getting a business off the ground. Obviously there's moving parts to a business, it's a functional system, but the marketing element is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And it can often be the reason that they don't, you know, make the leap, you know, from startup to a, a you know, a company that's, you know, operating, you know, um, and, and really making the leap beyond that startup phase. Um, so how do, we, how do we actually start with marketing? You know, what's the, what's the first step for every business? That's, 
That's a very good question. And I think the one thing that you can always start at is, and this is where people get caught up, like I need to do marketing for my business. Well, strip that back a layer. Like what are, we, what are you actually doing? Like I want to get sales for my business. That's what you actually want to be doing. And that's what marketing should be about. It's about sales. It's about making money. It's about driving growth for your business. So people go, I need to do marketing. Well, no, you need to make sales for your business. That's what you need to do. How am I going to do that? I'm going to do that through marketing. Okay, what marketing do I need to do in order to make more sales or get more customers for my business? I feel like people always get caught up. It's like, we need to do more marketing. What, what is that? Like, no, you, you want to make more money. You need to get more sales. Yeah, marketing is going to facilitate that, but you want to get more sales. That's essentially what you want to do everyone's trying to do so that's where people get stuck yeah and so how do you like let's strip that back then so where do you guys start so if a client comes to you and they ask that question which i'm sure you get all the time like where do you start i think the number one thing that we look at straight away is their product market fit and like what's their unique selling proposition like what are they selling into what market do people want it and like is there actually space for that to work and then the second thing being like understanding their customer and the marketing psychology. I think like we're talking about marketing and we're talking about sales, but all that really is is acquiring customers, which means there's people on the other end. And if you want people to respond to your marketing, you need to understand what makes them tick and how to resonate with them and actually communicate the benefits to your product and what you can do. Because without that, you're just putting a message out in the market and there's no one to receive it. So I think that's like a, a really big point where people fall down is they don't understand their customer. And they might say like, yeah, my customer's 18 to 40, but I've never met anyone who's 18 to 40. Like, are they 26 <laughs> or are they 32? They want very different yeah, things. Yeah, and they do. Like 18, maybe they've got high disposable income, low commitments, 40, maybe on the other end. So you really need to understand like who are the types of people that buy your product or your service that are interested in it so that you can figure out how to communicate with them because that's all marketing is. It's just effectively communicating and all you're trying to do is communicate how your, your brand or your product or your service can help them solve a problem or help fit into their life for them as an individual. It really is like, it's, it's so interesting, right? Cause you just mentioned sales and like, I'm more sales driven than I am marketing. So yep. like, get me on a phone, I can sell anything. But then I think what I've really started to realize is that marketing is literally, it's the same thing, but communicating, you know, through campaigns and, and the different channels that you have at your, at your um, uh, advantage in a sense. So, Product market fit, like, can you guys explain exactly what that is um, and more importantly, how do we actually find it? Because um, life's pretty hard if you don't have it and more often than not your marketing will, you know, won't exist or won't, you know, it'll, it'll be pretty unsuccessful unless you have it. So can you explain exactly what that is? You go, yeah, yeah uh, I think it's looking at like, what do people actually want? Like, it's all good to have a product, but at the end of the day, if people don't want it and they don't want to buy it, it's never going to work. And looking at competitors in the market, a really good thing that what we actually spoke about before was like, does your product solve a problem? If you can build a product or a service around a problem, it's a real reason for someone to give you their money. You know, if you're just a commodity based on price that doesn't really add any value to anyone's life, it's very hard for you to have a value proposition to actually make someone want to part with their money. But if you can solve a problem, it's a real emotional reason for someone to spend their money because they would rather have their problem solved than have their money. And so that's what we're talking like product to market fit. Like, you know, if, if you're in a saturated market, say you just start an activewear brand, well, 
if there's nothing different about your activewear brand and you don't solve a problem, why is anyone going to choose your brand over Nike, Adidas, Gymshark, insert a million different brands? Like it's the same thing in every market. So when looking at product market fit, we're looking like, does this solve a problem? Is there real reasons that people would want to buy it? What's the competition like in the market? Is it something that, like how big is the market? Because clients come to us because they want to scale. Now they want to go from doing 50 to 100, 200, 300, $600,000 a month. Well, there has to be enough people that want their products to actually support that size of the market. So drilling to those kind of things before you actually like buy a product or start a business is going to help you assess the size of your customer base and if it's actually possible for you to kind of achieve your objectives. You mentioned the word commodity before and like, I feel like a lot of people don't truly understand whether their product is a commodity or not and the consequences to that, you know, and I think it comes back to what you said around like solving a problem and does the problem actually exist or are you like, and we, you know, we kind of talked about it before, but the idea of, you know, you've got a product and you're trying to find a problem to solve versus, you know, building a product to specifically solve a problem and then the consequence, you know, potentially of having a product and a problem to solve could be the, the idea of a, your product being a commodity. But can you explain that? Like what is, you know, if like what is the difference between a product that, you know, is a commodity, is a commodity or the product that really has... Um, you know, we, we're going to talk about it, but like a unique selling proposition and is truly solving a problem. What are the consequences um, of entering into business in both of those kind of, you know, key arenas? I think that if you're a commodity, you're normally competing on price because you're selling something that's just like very easy for someone else to produce. There's nothing unique about it. And because there's nothing unique about it, there's no reason for someone to choose yours over anyone else's. So like, I don't know, say if you if you go to Coles and there's four different brands of plastic cutlery, you don't have an allegiance or alliance to any of them. They all do exactly the same thing. They're all doing the same thing. You're just going to buy based off price most of the time or what looks the best. But for a lot of people, it's price. And that's where you're kind of competing on price versus value. Whereas if you solve a problem for someone, well, like if you're, say, in a service-based business, like your electricity goes out and electrician comes over and they says it's $3,000 to get it fixed. Well, what's the value of you having electricity in your house so that your family can stay warm, your food doesn't go off? Like, you don't, you're paying for the value there because you can't just go get an electrician off the shelf to fix your stuff for you. Or if you have a product, say, that's like a tech object or whatever that legitimately solves a problem, like there's a strong reason for people to purchase there. I guess Apple's a prime example of that. Like an iPhone's like $1,600 or whatever it is. They're not competing on price. They're competing on value. You could go buy an Android phone for like 200 bucks, but you're gonna get iMessage, FaceTime, all your photos synced up, all the features that come on Apple. The phone isn't worth, well, it's very expensive. Like when the phones came out, they're $800, but the reason they can charge $1,600 and keep putting their prices up is because of the value they deliver. And people decide they would rather pay that more to have that value because they're not competing on price. So I think like commodity, it's always something that's just like, anyone can do it, anyone can get it, which means there's no reason for anyone to choose your product over everyone else's, where if you're competing on value and actually solving someone's problem, it allows your pricing to not be dictated by like the cost of your goods, but by the value you deliver for the client or the problem you solve. And it's a, like it's about bringing in the different elements. So you mentioned iMessage and, and like, you know, you've got the phone, but it's the value that the phone creates for you mm. with all these different elements and features that comes into it. Can you talk to the idea of bringing in those features and like, you know, understanding how they actually, like what, I think this kind of comes back to that question is like, what is the problem that you're solving? But can you talk to 
maybe some examples that you guys have worked with of like cool like the difference between you know one company that isn't really solving those problems and yeah the similarities between these you know like um we've got a you know a mutual um friend who sells you know clothing but the reality is is like you know there's it's much of muchness in terms of the clothing itself but in terms of how different that is you know or they all are and they do have differences of course but it's more like one is solving a particular problem for a person or it's 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 delivering on a specific need yeah for sure and like we were discussing before you know there's multiple of these businesses out there that haven't done anything new like they've literally taken the same thing that's been around for 50 years and redeveloped it with like new psychology and product to market fit so like let's think about manscape for example like think about electric trimmers how long have electric trimmers been in style in fashion for like they've been around for ages and manscape has developed this beast because they've honed in to the male market and they've honed into blokes cutting their nuts on their razors. So it's like they haven't got a new product. They haven't completely gone out and, um, you know, yeah, they might have, you know, upgraded the technology or whatever, but they've honed in like, you know, to this um, problem solution, like blokes cutting their nuts. The solution is, you know, the Manscaped razor and, you know, they have um, like a guarantee that if you cut your nuts, you can send it back and we'll give you your money back. It's like... They've identified a problem, same product, but they were the ones that identified the problem about guys cutting downstairs, whatever, and they provided a solution. And literally all they did was change the marketing psychology around selling this product. So like, again, you know, when you're thinking about something like fashion, like it can be replicated in whatever. You look at, there's a massive brand called Cuts and they literally sell white, plain t-shirts now if someone came to me and said i want to sell white plain t-shirts i would be like cool well how these guys sell like the perfect office fit white plain t-shirts like your everyday whatever now they've taken like a boring plain t-shirt and made um t-shirts and pants that are specifically for like working professionals now again nothing new here they've just found a problem, which is guys wanted to find really comfortable, nice looking plain t-shirts that they could wear to the office or pants. And they've developed their marketing brand and product around that. And again, this product's something that's been around forever. And it's like, it can be as simple as being able to just find a, like, again, it doesn't have to be a product that's like no one's ever seen but it's about finding the psychology like identify a problem. Like, is there, you know, an, or a part of my audience here that are having a specific problem all the time? Can I dig into that and really frame my product as the solution to their problem? Like there's a awesome quote by Greta Van Riel, who's like a massive Australian entrepreneur. We obviously know her. And she says, you know, the world doesn't need more products. The world needs more, um, what is it? The world solutions needs more to solutions to problems. So like, again, these don't have to be products that are like changing the world, but they can be simple as, you know, finding a problem and framing that your product or whatever as the solution. And it can be as, as simple as, 
you know, again, like we're talking about Manscaped, the don't cut your nuts. Like they, they've found the problem with males and they developed their whole product, branding, marketing and strategy around that. Yeah, and it's so true. Like I think about our business and like, you know, podcasting or video production or whatever it is, is, you know, there's, there's plenty of production companies out there, you know, and there's plenty of, um, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of podcasting companies out there, right? But I think one of the things that we looked at and, and kind of talks to what you're saying is like, who's our market? And who do we think the opportunity is in the market? And we focused on the customer, identified them first and then went after them. And so like for podcasting, there's a lot of creators that were in the space and, and you know, they're coming in and, and they actually have a very different problem to the market that we ended up identifying, which is like businesses. And so we kind of asked ourselves a series of questions of like true or false. And was like, okay, do we think podcasting is a really efficient and effective way to create content? Yes. Okay. Are they great selling mechanisms? Well, yeah, like it's, they're, they're really effective when it comes to marketing campaigns. Reach is the problem. Um, and then we said, okay, well, you know, um, is there a problem there where businesses struggle to create content? Uh, and, you know, this is a really easy way for them to do so. And the, the answer was yes. And it's like, okay, well, is there a purposely built product out there currently for businesses or are they all wired for creators? And, and, you know, like we kind of went through that and really honed in on that. And that's what you're talking about around product market fit. It's like, who is the customer honing in on that? And then specifically bringing all these different elements, like, you know, there's mics, there's cameras, there's studios, there's all these things, there's social media, but you, you can actually bring these different elements and features together to like create a purposely built product for a, a customer. A hundred percent. And as you said, like, this isn't something new, like podcast isn't something new, video is not something new, but you've identified that, you know, these businesses, you know that, um, you know, visual audio and, you know, video is going to be the way of the future. And they know that, but their biggest hurdle is they want to do it, but they can't do it. And that's where they struggle. And again, it's just finding that gap in the market you know, there was videographers out there, you know, there was probably podcast studios, but putting it all in one, like a done for you service for what you guys are doing, it solves all the problems for the, that business. Like they get the audio, they get a podcast, they get all the clips. It's like, they don't have to go to one place to get a podcast done and they get the audio and they have to go to one place or hire someone else to come and film for the day, then get it cut up. And they don't have to get someone else to, you know, post the content for them. It's like, again, you guys have, found that problem, you guys have packaged up this service, which is awesome, as a solution done for you. It's like, it's a no brainer for them now. And you guys look heavily at this, don't you, when you're working with clients, like you, you almost wouldn't necessarily dive into a relationship with a client unless they've got the, they've actually found product market fit or you think that there's an evolution to that point because yeah. of how important it is to the marketing that you're actually doing. Definitely, because like if people, don't want what they're selling. We can't produce some results. Like we're a return on ad spend growth focused agency. Our job is to take e-commerce businesses doing kind of anywhere on hundred grand, like 30, 50, hundred grand to doing 200, 300, 400, 500 K months. And that can only be done if they have product to market fit, if people actually want what they're selling. Otherwise, if, you know, it's not to say they can't achieve success, but for the service that we provide and the directive we take them on, there has to be that product to market fit to actually facilitate that. Otherwise, we're gonna spend money on ads and they're not gonna get the returns they need and it's just not gonna work out. And that's where like you literally the perfect 
case, an example of product to market fit, because everything you just outlined is how to do it. You looked at the problem, you looked at the gap in the market, you said, how can we create a, a solution around this a product? You understood who your customer is. They weren't 18 to 40. They were a business owner with these specific needs. Even when I've spoken to you, I know that within your persona, you have different personas. You have larger corporate businesses on smaller startup businesses and understand how your service, the same service, but how it relates to them more specifically as a corporate client or as a smaller client. And that's what we mean by product to market fit. And you've done it perfectly, which is why you're seeing so much success. And so I would imagine that another precursor or, you know, like a, a hurdle that you guys need to jump when working with a client is the financial side and making sure that if a client comes on board, um, more importantly, the work that you do for them is actually going to lead to more profits and and there's availability in, in margin for that. Can you guys talk to some of the key kind of metrics that you guys look at even from, and this, this is, this is what I find really interesting. Cause like, that's, that's where I live, you know, in, that's where I really enjoy business and it's not a marketing thing, but it, it is so important to marketing. So can you talk about some of those financial metrics that you look at, talk about margin and its importance? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, one thing's important to clarify is the like- The data guy, we're going yeah. to the data guy. <laughs> Although what we do is kind of a blend between advertising and marketing. I guess if you talk about traditional marketing, it's all about awareness. It's like McDonald's billboard or Coca-Cola ad on TV. Like Coca-Cola aren't being like, how much money did we make from that billboard? They're looking at how much space do we buy in people's minds. They're looking for touch points. Like that's more your traditional marketing. Whereas what we do is kind of a cross between marketing and advertising where it's like, we're taking those things, but we have the data to track it and to actually follow on as well, which is why the numbers are so important. So I think one thing that, especially like we work in e-commerce, that's, that's our niche mostly, but it's, the same applies to Legion is if you're running paid advertising campaigns, you really have to understand your numbers and the breakdown of them all to see if it can actually be a profitable scenario. Because what we see is people think they know the numbers, but they really don't. They start spending money on ads, they get all these sales and they're like, we lost $10,000. And it's like, well, you told us that these were your margins. And we dig through, it's like, oh, these weren't actually your margins. And we very quickly learned that we had to take it upon ourselves to have spreadsheets and everything where we got all the confirmed prices to see if when they run ads, it can actually add up to be profitable if return on ads spend like profit is their, their actual objective. So what are some of those numbers, those key pivotal ones, you know, maybe not the, the in the weeds ones, but like, you know, I'd imagine cost of goods, you know, net margin, but what are some of those big financial ones that people need to make sure they've got locked in and understand before they dive, you know, into running paid ads and jumping into these, you know, marketing campaigns? Yeah, with e-commerce, we normally look at their cost of goods and their margin. So how much does it cost you to get a product? And often people, the mistake they make is they're like, oh, our, our product costs $23 to get, but that's like the cost from the supplier. It doesn't include their shipping freight, their landed costs. Like what does it actually cost you to get a product into your, your warehouse or wherever you keep them? What's your margins on those products? And then you need to look at that in relation to your average order value. Especially now, like e-commerce is very heavily, to be successful with e-commerce advertising, very heavily weighted around your average order value. So you need to figure out in your average order value, which is when people shop on your store, how much they spend on average. You need to figure out what profit you have in that average order value. Because if you have five top selling items, but they all have different margins, you can't just average that out and expect it to be accurate. Like you need to actually look at the breakdown of your sales. You know, 80% of our sales are from this product, 10% from this product. What are the margins for that? And then calculate that into your average order value, because that's gonna allow you to figure out roughly when someone shops in your store, how much profit you have. 
And once you've figured out that, then you can figure out what are your KPIs from advertising. Like if you were to spend this much money on advertising and someone purchased something worth your average order value, what would your break even be? Where would you start making profit? Would that be at one times return on ad spend, two times return on ad spend, three times return on ad spend? And that's all going to depend on your margins, your cost of goods and your average order value. But it's really important. Like obviously people approach e-commerce marketing agencies saying we want rowers. What, what rowers can we expect? And it's how long is a piece of string because every business is different. Like your rowers and what you can evaluate, it's gonna depend on your product to market fit and also your average order value and the amount of profit you have in there and what you can accept as a business rowers wise to meet your objectives. If you're a, like, if you're a bootstrapped startup business, profit's gonna be super important to you because you're gonna get any cash flow and you're gonna be running profitably so you can keep ordering more stock without having to sink more cash in. But if your business has got large funds and maybe acquisition is your strategy, you might be happy on a break even rowers based off your cost of goods and your average order value because the first stage of your plan is to acquire customers and revenue and your second stage of your plan is to start increasing the margin. So it's like there's all these different factors and you have things like your online conversion rate, your return custom rate. But what's really important is the relation of how they actually all fit together to make sure you're meeting your objectives as a business and what your plans are for growth. The data guy. The data guy. <laughs> the data guy. And that's uh, the thing, like people honestly like – been doing this for you know however many years now and it's like the one thing that we really see businesses fall down on is they don't know their numbers and this is where like especially e-commerce or whether it be legion is where people get caught out if you don't understand the numbers in your business specifically from the start well how do you ever know what's going on now if you're going to work with an agency or you're going to hire a freelancer or you're going to employ someone for your business and you don't understand what your profit margins are, where do you actually need at, need to be at to break even, you can go backwards really, really mm. fast. And unfortunately, it's a common thing that we see, you know, speaking to people every day that want to come work with our agency who have worked with someone, number one, they haven't found these numbers out themselves or number two, say the agency, the freelancer or the marketing person that they've worked with hasn't taken the time to understand what these numbers are. And they've gone so far backwards in the red because they didn't set any of these KPIs from the beginning. And it's like, if you don't know these, like you're set up for failure. And it's, again, like I'm, it shocked me when I first got into this industry, but now it doesn't shock me because it happens so much. And again, that's like what Nathan said is so important. Like. We need to take the time to understand all these numbers about your business because honestly, we've done this so many times. I can tell by looking at the numbers prior to starting with someone, whether this is going to work or not. Like I've looked at that many accounts. I can say, hey, I'm confident this is going to work or hey, this actually isn't going to work because of your profit margins, your average order value, whatever it may be it's a constant cycle that you see, you start to know. But again, it's like, you need to know your numbers. If you don't know them, like you're doing yourself such a massive disservice. And you can't outgrow the problem, right? Like that's so the, that is the key, the key principle for that. Like yeah. you can't outgrow a unit economics problem. No. Your problem gets be bigger. Only gets yeah. worse. And like I in my consulting days have worked with like and like people don't understand this. Like but you can be doing like $5 million 
and you're in a negative unit economic situation and you are going to be losing, you know, 50, 100K a month, right? More. Yep. Because you haven't solved this problem. And, into, and you know what? It is so much fucking harder. And like I've worked in service businesses, right? So, so solving this problem as a service... Mm. And you know, same with ecom. I'm sh- I'm sure of it. Is like, like it is. In my opinion, unit economics is the is the most important thing. Like it's it is the foundation for absolutely anything. And if you fuck it up from the very beginning, you're done. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Or you know, you have to take twenty steps back to in order to get going again, and you cost yourself years. Yeah, that's the thing. And like, people could have a, a great product or service, but if they don't know the numbers, they could just be selling it too cheap or selling it too high or it's never going to be scalable because they haven't taken the time to run the numbers on it. Yeah. And it's just like for any business, I don't know, like you think it would be the first thing that you think about whenever you start a business like, cool, what am I, what am I going to sell this for? Like how much am I getting it? What are my profit margins in here? Like, okay, if I'm going to do advertising, what am I um, – how much am I gonna? How much is it gonna cost me to acquire a customer? All right. Well, after I ship it out, what's gonna be left? It's like, obviously, because we do this every day, it's normal for us. But it's like, there's so many people, even like established e-commerce businesses that we've spoken to, the like, we're like, oh yeah, these guys are coming in. Yeah, we know these guys. Fuck yeah, and then, big company. Yeah, awesome, and, awesome client. And then you look and you go, and you ask them these questions, and they're like, or they they think they know. Mm. Or they, they'll give you an answer and they'll say, yo, we run off 80% margins. Yeah. And it's like, hmm, <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. But then you find out and you're like, guys, like you actually don't. And here's the reason why all the X, Y, and Z isn't working. Like there's so many times like, oh, you know, we did 100 grand this month or we did 200 grand, but like we didn't really make that much money. And I'm like, well, you have an issue. Like let's find it. But it's like, it's crazy how many times it actually happens so like if you're in e-commerce now or you're thinking about getting it into it, like these are all the things that you need to be thinking about. Yeah. And what are the benchmarks on this, right? So like I know that we can't, I know it's a relationship dependent thing. So your cogs and your net margin are highly tied together. But like what are the benchmarks on this stuff that you look for? Obviously better being better for the business, but at a minimum, like what are we looking at net margin? What are we looking at? And then what does that mean? you know, what kind of cogs are we trying to look for and, and potentially some of these other numbers just as benchmarks. I know, it, again, I know it's that's a sticky conversation, like it's yeah. different, but like what are we looking for? It, it really comes down to what rowers can you accept, which means return on ad spend. So a row is a two means you spend $1 and you make $2 back in sale. A row is a five means you spend a dollar and make $5 back in sale. You spend $100 and make five. And it's just a relationship between how much you spent and the amount of sales you made. And it really depends on what, meets the objectives for their business. But if they need, let's say they've only got 10% margins and they need like a 10 times return on ad spend. Well, we know from our experience, like you're not getting 10 times return on ad spend. So it's all about like where they want to be at versus like their scale versus the return on ad spend they can expect. And the, the general rule is the more you spend, the lower your return on ad spend. It's much easier to get a four or five times return on ad spend at $10,000 a month than it is at $50,000 a month in spend. So we're looking at those numbers to assess, okay, well like, where they need to be break even now. And if they want to scale, what rowers they need to make it work. So generally you, you want to look at making sure you've got something that's kind of got, we normally look at like 20, 30% cost of goods is like, if you can get that, it's really good. 
if you have 50% cost of goods, so you've got 50% margins, it, it can get tough, not when you're younger, but as you grow more. And it's where the business needs to make a decision. What's our objective? Like, do we want to get more sales at lower margin or do we want to get less sales at higher margin and what actually meets their growth? So it, I know it's not a very clear answer because it's a bit of like how long is a piece of string, but you really want to be trying to find something that has the lowest cost you can sell at the maximum value. I guess that's yeah. business. Yeah, because inevitably whoever can spend the most on marketing wins. Exactly. Yeah. Look, ideally, I think, as Nate said, like if you could find something that had like 80% profit margins or 70% profit margins. Gross, gross. Pro yeah, and then you want to be looking at, okay, obviously you don't know, but like what do I think is going to be my cost per acquisition or cost to make a sale on whatever platform? Like if it's going to cost me... $30, if I think on the high end, it might cost me 40. Well, what am I going to sell my product at? Like ideally, if you could like say, okay, my highest cost per purchase is going to be say 40. Well, like be safe and like 5X that. Like sell that for 5X, whatever your CPA is going to be. And you've got 80% profit margin. So you know that, okay, if I end up having to pay 40 or $50 to acquire a customer, I've still got heaps of profit there. But like these other companies, uh, these other businesses that, you know, might work off 50, 50% 50 profit margins and, you know, and even lower. Well, again, when you get bigger and you start having competitors, well, who's going to be able to spend the most? Who's going to be able to afford to pay the most to acquire a customer? That's essentially what's going to happen. And the, the company that is going to be able to spend the most money to acquire a customer profitably is going to be the winner and they don't even have to be profitably like if you look at like an amazon like they're willing to go in the red to gain a customer because they know the customer lifetime value exactly. return customer rate is where they're going to make their money and kind of touch what we spoke on before is like are you profit focused first or acquisition focused because you might have a business model where like say you have like a subscription model or you know customers come back and they buy two three times a year it might actually be viable for you to lose money on the first purchase knowing you'll make money on the second, third, fourth, fifth purchase through email or through the subscription. So that always comes down to like what the business model is and where you're going to make your money and like point. what actually works for you. Like where do you need to make your money? Yeah, this is like such a fucking good conversation because yeah. like I just think about like, so, you know, let's, let's, let's use like a, a formula right so it's like gross margin is the first thing you think about and like what most people you know like if you haven't been in business for a while you the way you everybody comes into the market and prices like oh what do i think's fair right and the problem with that is is like you're not understanding your inputs you know like some in service it's something as simple as a charge out calculator right okay great we're paying someone 80 grand a year that eighty thousand dollars we need to get a return of 240 on that time Right, because and then all of a sudden, how many? What are the input hours on that service versus what we're charging for it? And there needs to be a match there so that your gross profit is absolutely rock solid. And then you know, for you guys, it's like then it, then you're looking. Oh, this is me piecing it together. Tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like return on ad spend is the next thing you look at, right? Because you can't. From what I got, right? If I'm trying to achieve, like, if someone says to you, "We want a four return on ad, four x return on ad spend," that is completely dependent on, you know, what their gross margin might be. Yeah, there's a direct relationship there because the next thing you can do is what can I actually spend on marketing to without going into the negative of a yeah. net profit margin. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's take uh, like an e-commerce example, right? 
like if someone says, hey, I want to get a 4X return, well, it's like, and their average order value is 100. So on, mm. on average, people spend $100 on their site. Well, I know that you need to get a $20 sale from Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Google, whatever it is to do, no, that's five rowers. 25, yeah, 25, yeah. 25. Yeah, 25, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, So we know that you need to get a $25 cost per purchase to meet that objective. Now, we can look at that and go, do we think that's achievable based on the data that you have in the account or and based on our experience or do we think that's not achievable? And again, this is where, you know, these people say, oh, you know, I wanna, I wanna scale and I wanna do this. So it's like, well, what do you wanna do? Do you wanna get four rowers or do you wanna scale? Like the number one thing that every business should be looking at is profit. And again, Every business is different, so they will look in judging profit different ways. They will be look. Some might be looking at, you know, e-commerce. It's direct to consumer. We're looking to make a profit off every single kind of sale. But then you look on the other hand, and you take um, a business like HelloFresh. Like I know for a fact they're not making any money on the sale of their first thing, and that's why they're doing, you know, like sign up for your first time, get two hundred dollars off. Sign up for this time, get this, get this but they know they've run their numbers. They know their customers. They know that if they lose money on the first time, they might break even on the second and they might make money on the third. So again, specifically for e-commerce, like obviously D to C, you're looking at making money straight away. Obviously it's a much different scenario. Um, if you're in another kind of business, like, you know, uh, like what we just spoke about, HelloFresh, but again, it's always about knowing those numbers and trying to reverse engineer based on what the goal or KPI is of that business. Is it profit? Is it like, as Nathan said, there's businesses out there that are like, cool, we just want to break even every single month, but we want to do high turnover because we want to get acquired. Like everyone is so different. So it needs to be a plan dedicated around what are your goals and objectives Obviously, because we work in e-commerce, profit is obviously the number one driver of that. And I think it's really important to clarify that like with your rowers, the thing that's going to affect your rowers is your average order value. So like in the example Clay go, got where it was $100 average order value, $25 cost per purchase, we're getting four times return on ad spend. Well, if you can get your people to spend, your, your customers to spend $150 on average, well now your return on ad spend is higher. So it all works together. Like it, you have to understand these different, it really is unit, unit economics, like you said, you have to understand these things because it's like, if you can get people to spend more on average, then you're gonna be able to set to higher cost per purchase, you're gonna have more product uh, profit in that per sale, which is gonna allow you to spend more on ads and it's gonna fuel the whole thing. So you need to understand those relationships between the two. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's just such a important conversation that you know, mm. and and it's not, but like when you first get into business, you don't understand this stuff. You don't even know it exists. You're kind of like, yep. You know, again, like, yeah. you, you know, I know plenty of people out there would be like, yeah, I started an econ business and I'm selling like t-shirts and, you know, I'm selling like, you know, well, 50 bucks is a good price, but it cost yeah. me 20, you know, it's costing you 30 to make it. And then all of a sudden you, you're selling, you find product market fit, right? Because it's so, you know, or like what you said before, that like, you know, you're, you're pricing your t-shirts under the market. So you're capturing market share, um, but all of a sudden, you know, when it comes, you know, as you scale, you need to operationalize and then all of a sudden you've got no money to spend on marketing and mm. you don't have enough capital to take that leap to the, the next phase, right? Which is there is a leap there to mm. go from yep. that initial phase, you know, you're either going to need to 
purchase more units or you're going to need to, you know, increase your marketing spend or, or even spend on marketing, yep. you know, like, so I completely get that and, and, and so important. Um, so yeah, I think just doubling down on your numbers is huge. Yeah. Let's talk about psychology of the customer now, because I know that there's a relationship here, right? Between what we just talked, you, you mentioned it before of like the psychology of the customer and like the the purpose of the business or like where what phase are you in are you trying to capture market share so that you you know um i, I mean look that there is customer psychology is such a big a big topic mm. but we kind of talked about it um a little bit there was an, a hint of it but can you talk to customer psychology um how important is is it to the marketing plan and more importantly understanding you cut who that customer is yeah, yeah i think when we talk about marketing psychology all it really boils down to is like, how can you effectively communicate with your potential customer what your product is going to do for them? And I reckon the number one mistake that we see is people market their features, not their benefits. And this isn't like age-old marketing adage, but you don't want to tell someone, this is my product and it's this size and it has these features. Like this is my MacBook, it's 14 inch, this. You want to tell them you're going to edit video as fast as possible. You want to tell them like what it's actually going to do for them to help because that's why they're buying. They're not buying because it has this specification, they're buying because of the outcome, like the benefit that product's gonna have on their life. And I'd say like in terms of marketing psychology, when clients come to us, sometimes they have really good product to market fit. And sometimes they have really good numbers and they actually know the numbers. But the one thing they're missing is understanding that marketing psychology and actually how to communicate the benefits of their products to people because benefits is what's gonna make someone buy. And that's like what you do so with your business. You don't say like, we're a podcasting studio and we have this many square feet and this many cameras and this many lights. You say, we'll create a podcast from you start to finish and cut out the, uh, cut up little clips so you have them to post on social media. Like that's the transformation, that's the benefit, that's the delivery. And that's such a huge part of the marketing psychology because features don't sell, benefits is what sells because that's the transformation that's going to happen to your customer and the effect it will have on them. How does that play into like a fashion business like 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 because i find that really interesting like i can understand functional products yep and you know there are like you know i know that that function does play it's it's uh sorry i'm fucking all over the shop here i know that function does play a role in um in fashion in a way you know i'm sure there is but it, like how to style like you know maybe style is the function right but yep. like how does that like I, that's what i've always wondered like i'm I'm not in that world, so I don't get it. But like, yep. how do you guys deliberate and understand that across many different industries yeah. and so on? It's a great question. And fashion is obviously like a good one to chat about because people would be like, how does this, um, how does this apply to my, you know, fashion brand? Well, it's like the best fashion brands out there, their point of difference is their clothes. So like that is their unique selling proposition. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, I guess the problem in the market is, you know, they've identified there's, like, like let's talk about Frontrunner, for example, one of our clients. They've identified, you know, the gap in the market and Tim's designed these clothes that look like nothing else. And, you know, he's like, I know there's a gap here for, you know, unisex, uh, like, I guess. Um, like 90s inspired. 90s inspired vintage style clothing. I'm going to target and create stuff for that. Now, again, super saturated. I wouldn't say, yeah, their details and their fits and all that kind of stuff are like amazing quality. They do such a great job. But 
the actual style and the point of difference is the clothes itself. Like, again, you're not going to find that anywhere else. And then you see these, you know, people go, oh, I want to start an e-com brand. It's like, I want to start a, I'm going to start a t-shirt brand. It's like, well, what is your black t-shirt with your logo on it any different? Like, why is someone going to buy yours over buying a black t-shirt with Nike on it? Yeah. yeah. And like, it's so true. Like, I've, I've, I'm like, again, like Timmy's a good friend of mine and I've seen what he's built. And I actually remember going for meetings with him and just chatting, not like, you know, just like lunch and stuff like that. And and like, you know, uh, Timmy designed what I think is the perfect T-shirt. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> and he said that it was, you know, there's there's a, he actually said that from day one, there's a gap for unisex. Mm -hmm. The T-shirts I think for them was what really hit it off. And it was like, yep. his, you know, actually oversized T-shirts. So if you're yep. wearing a large, is that actually... You know, first of all, is the style gonna can you can both sexes wear it? Um, and then second of all, you know, you know, for him being tall and how yep. you know how big he is, it was like you know nothing nothing's ever oversized. Like I'm having to buy like a three XL, and you know some companies don't even sell that. Yeah. So like truly unisex, and so like yeah, the style's cool, and like the everyday consumer doesn't necessarily think like that. But like you try it on and you're like, oh, this is fucking awesome. But yep. you don't necessarily think about why, you know, all the time. But then you get a customer in, it's sticky and you're like, yeah, I love this. And yep. and I think that's a – he's a good example, you know, like of of truly yep. fulfilling a need. And, they, you know, obviously you guys are working with them. So they're doing, yeah. they're doing great stuff. Yeah, that's like another good thing. Like talking about the, um, the features and the benefits, the features of the front runner shirt like – boxy fit like he's the material like all the things that you notice when you wear one like but the key driver of selling is the point of difference of his clothes look nothing like anything out there but then when you get it all the features of it you're like wow this quality is amazing it's heavyweight it's mm. oversized but if we were just to say um you know we were just to focus on the features not the actual you know uh, if we were just to do the same shirt and just every week and say oversized boxy shirt, focus on the features and not focus on the different uh, – and he was not doing like new designs, um, new cuts, whatever it was. It's just like it would never be where it's at. So, yes, the features are important, but as Nay said, people get caught up in trying to advertise like, you know, three bristle toothbrush – and this kind of stuff rather than the thing that's like um, clean your teeth in 60 seconds or less and ensure no more bad breath. Like that's what's going to sell, not the actual bristle or the toothbrush. Mm. Yeah. So, and like digging into like you asked about the marketing psychology, like clothing brand, well, like front runners, a great example. And all you need to do is ask yourself one word, which is why. Like someone wants to buy this T-shirt. Why? Because they like it. Why? Because it doesn't fit like anything else. Why? Because they feel like this T-shirt expresses them, they look cool. Boom, there's your benefit. That's the reason front runners doing well is because the people who identify with that style and looking that way, why do you choose clothes? Because it's a representation of who you are and the way you want to present yourself to the world and they identify with that brand the way it looks and that is the solution to the problem. The problem was there was no clothing brands or there weren't clothing brands filling that need in their life and the solution is here's front runner with their unique uh, selling proposition and that's why they're crushing it because they understand this product to market fit. So you just always, if you if you need, like if you're at home, you need to try and figure out like why do people buy my stuff? Just what's the marketing, the psychological reason? Just keep asking why until you get to the deep-seated reason, not the surface-level reason. All right. 
that was bigger than what I thought it was going to be. But product market fit, unit economics, customer psychology, deeply understand it. Episode one, bang. 